0: Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 102. And today, we are talking about food fraud vulnerability assessments. Uh, This one you are really, 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 really going to need a pen and paper for because this is there's there's no way you can like grab this um, (laughs) without writing it down. Okay, so pen and paper. Uh, then take a listen, all right, and ask me your questions. There's an offer in the middle of it, guys. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fanninsteel. Welcome, everybody. And this is you're hearing this, uh, because I am recording it again, I was recording the podcast as my Facebook Live, and Facebook went down. (laughs) So for those of you who heard the beginning part of it, you're going to hear it again. And uh, for those of you who didn't welcome, I am recording this uh through obs and i have to get my brain back together because i like restarted my computer and (laughs) did a whole bunch of things and it turns out facebook is down and where do we go when we to figure out whether or not facebook is down and we go to twitter So, anyway, today I am going into a very nitty gritty topic. So, I polled folks over on the Proving Box about what sort of topics they want me to cover in the podcast. And I covered, you know, like I talked a little bit about this last week. So, we did our last week was episode 101, we're on episode 102. And, um, in in I guess for the first hundred episodes, I really feel like I was like getting my podcasting sea legs, and going you know doing like a whole bunch of of, of growth in the business and, and sort of almost like a live documentation of that. But I asked people, and what people really want to hear about is is they want to hear about HACCP and food safety, very specific stuff, and then they want to hear about um, about business planning. So that's what I'm going to be bringing you over the next 100 episodes, and then we'll see what the 100 episodes after that looks like. But that all being said, the question becomes about the coaching stuff and the mindset work. Guys, I'm not going to lie. The mindset work is of utmost importance. You can't do food safety well unless you get your mind squared away. So I'm going to bring the mindset stuff along for the ride but I'm not gonna do separate podcasts on it unless it becomes really obvious that I need to do separate podcasts on it. So that all being said, we are gonna have lots and lots of really specific nitty gritty conversations about food safety, about food quality, about how to pass an audit, and what are the nitty gritty things that you need to do in order for you to have the documentation and, policies and processes that you need to build the business that you really want to build because i really do believe that it's possible for for people to come to this work and do it really really successfully without huge massive gut churning effort because we make it all really easy and that's part of kind of what i'm i'm revamping like my my programs and and offerings about and getting a program into your hands that really is just that—it's the—it's the documentation and the training that you need to go be successful and bring your food to the world. And it's, it's like we're rewriting the website right now. It's beautiful and amazing, and I love it. And this today's podcast is sort of me kind of kicking off that real nitty-gritty stuff because what we have in the like in the membership site that I have and the documentation that I give people is we have three or four dozen programs like sanitation and testing and monitoring and Listeria control and preventive maintenance and approved supplier and all these different things, right? And we have uh, certification training and HACCP uh, for meat and poultry, HACCP to pass an audit, preventive controls, and then I do some other trainings around 90-day validations, and uh, I teach people how to, the the, the uh, program called Book Yourself Solid, which is the, all about, you know, both the external and the internal self. So with that in mind, uh, um, what I'm doing is, is I'm sort of filling in the more nitty-gritty holes because there are just so many people who have the basics down by now, Okay. I've been working with a lot of my clients for a long time and they have the basics down. And so now we're gonna go above and beyond the basics. um, And that's what food fraud is. So food fraud is uh, when products are um, intentionally mislabeled or misbranded or substituted or diluted or otherwise changed in a way that brings economic advantage to the person who is doing the fraud. Uh. Okay, so not all things that happen to food are food fraud by any means. Like if you mislabel around an allergen, that's not food fraud, that's, that's failure to recognize a hazard and label it appropriately, that's a different rule. Uh, if you substitute milk powder for soy powder because milk powder is cheaper and you don't change your label, that's food fraud, okay? So it's very subtle. Food fraud is part of your food defense program. So food defense program is how you make sure that there's no intentional adulteration um, or other things that go wrong with your food. It can also be part of your biodefense program if you're on a farm. If you need a biodefense plan, come to the Proofing Box. I have a biodefense plan. You can, you can download it. And food fraud is a really big deal. And it was written into FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, because during the 2000s there was a huge set of problems with fraudulent food. Many of you remember the melamine scandal. We first got it in pet food and then it was in baby formula, okay? So melamine is a, is a plastic that burns on a mass spectrometer uh, in the same range as a protein. And so you can add melamine to products and it looks like they have higher protein than they actually do and that's fraudulent. And it's very, very damaging. Like I had a lot of cats that I treated that died from melamine toxicity. And then there were babies in China that died because there were manufacturers who decided to, who decided to do that. So there were several other problems going on at the same time. We've had, uh, uh, you know, we have lots of different, lots and lots and lots of different, um, foods, and I'll go through this on what some of them are, that have food fraud issues, okay? You have to have documented programs in order to make sure that you don't have fraudulent food. And so we are going through and making sure that, you um, like as I, as I do this, I'm going through and I'm making sure that you understand what you're supposed to have. So in order to mitigate the risk of food fraud, you need what's called a vulnerability assessment. Um, and it has to be established and implemented. And then of course it has to be maintained to identify vulnerabilities in the product or in your ingredients or foods that you import, okay? If you're gonna pass an audit, you have to document all of this. And it has to be part of the management commitment to, to understand this and make sure that it doesn't happen. You have to be able to understand public health risks of fraudulent foods. So for example, when you substitute canola oil for olive oil, because canola oil is cheaper, there are people who have anaphylactic reactions to canola oil and will die. So that's a public health risk, right? you have to be able to go through your foods and ingredients and identify where things can go wrong from a food fraud uh, perspective. So that said, what what are the foods that we are most worried about? We're gonna start there, and then I'm gonna talk about a specific planning tool, which you'll probably kind of recognize, and how I help people um document their food fraud vulnerability assessment okay and so the foods that we worry about the most uh, all right we worry about olive oil honey and maple syrups very easy to um it's very easy to substitute high fructose corn syrup, like dyed high fructose corn syrup for honey and maple syrup, not hard at all. But there are other things that are an issue, country of origin labeling. So as many of you know, I just moved to Ohio, and uh, Ohio, if you don't know this, is the largest maple syrup producer in the country. Most of it gets sold to Canada and then is resold again into the U.S. There have been problems with uh, syrup showing up in our, you know, maple syrup heavy states that were not actually manufactured in that state. That is food fraud. Okay. Spices are, you probably heard me talk about this before, but spice ingredients. People buy with their eyes and you can add heavy metals to spices because it makes their colors look prettier so it makes the reds. cadmium makes reds in candies pop and lead makes yellows in turmeric pop it also is heavier and cheaper leads way cheaper than turmeric so if you um put in lead in for the turmeric it'll make it heavier so you can sell less turmeric for more money, um, it'll make the color pop, so it looks more uh, it looks more attractive, uh, um, and that's an issue, right? And this happens with a lot of with a lot of spices. So not only on spices do you have to worry about salmonella, you have to worry about heavy metal contamination. Um, you may have to worry about pesticide contamination. I have also seen that. Mm, Alrighty. So, but that does actually get more into the HACCP side of the house. Seafood. Uh, Seafood is, is, is probably the, the most fraudulent food. You know, you can, if you Google like seafood, seafood, food fraud, you can see how, you know, I remember in New York, they went and they, they did genomic testing and they found the, um, scallops, for example, were really skate cheeks or just, you know, like skate. Um, and they found pollock and that was supposed to be some much more expensive fish. So re- food fraud in fish is super prevalent, and it's incredibly important um, if you are a fisheries manufacturer to be able to show that your fish is your fish. All right? So that is some examples of the things that have... Uh, that, that we worry about when it comes to food fraud. All right, so if you know that you have to have a food fraud food fraud vulnerability assessment, and you know that you have to have one, um, by virtue of one of two things, either the government makes you because you're covered under FSMA and you're big enough to need a food fraud vulnerability assessment, or you wanna pass a third party audit and you need a food fraud vulnerability assessment. Those are the two things. One's mandatory, one's voluntary. (laughs) Okay. Either way, we're going to approach it the same way. And I want to introduce a concept called VASIP. All right. So y'all have heard of HACCP. Well, now we're going to talk about VASIP. VASIP is the vulnerability assessment for critical control points. HACCP is hazard analysis for critical control points. Well, now we're going to do a vulnerability assessment and like our HACCP planning, it's a 12-step process, and all the steps are almost completely identical. It's just that we have different, a different, quote, hazard analysis. So instead of it being a hazard analysis, it's a vulnerability assessment for one, two, three, four, five different vulnerabilities, okay? So like any good you know like CCP program we are going to start with forming your team remember food safety is a team sport <laughs> okay and this team it's probably your food safety team but it may have other people associated with it you're going to have a team this team is likely to cover biodefense food fraud and food defense okay so biodefense is what happens like back on the farm food defense is what happens at your facility And food fraud is specifically what we're talking about today. Those are three different programs for you to think about. So you're going to form your team. Your team has to be trained. That training has to be documented. They have to know what they are doing. Okay. This, you know, listening to and documenting um, uh, this uh, podcast, that you listen to this podcast, and I will even give you a gift. If you send me an email. Okay, to SFBDI at and ask me a question about food fraud. Tell me you listened to episode 102 and ask me a question. I will verify for you that you did food fraud training. righty, So send me an email, guys, and I will uh, I'll be happy to I'll be happy to send that out to you. Okay, it doesn't matter when you're listening to this podcast, send an email to sfbdi at food and we'll send you back a, uh, a food fraud overview training certificate, okay? So your team has to be trained, okay? Now, then the, once you have a trained team, this is the process. So that's step one. That's always step one. So step two is the start of the process that that team is going to do to do the food fraud vulnerability assessment, so I want you to describe your ingredients so start by listing them describe your ingredients and and or the foods that you work with and you got to brainstorm their vulnerabilities all right I'm going to give you I am going to give you some of the some of the parameters around what that is but give yourself the, you gotta first understand your ingredients and your foods that you are bringing in. This is likely to be very significantly tied with your specifications program and your approved supplier program. So these three programs have to work together because you can't, You can't. You, if it's a fraudulent food, I assure you it doesn't need specification. <laughs> um, and if it's not meeting specification and there's an approved supplier issue, then we've gotta tackle that, okay? So all these things really do work together. Then I want you to describe your supply chain and your risk of food fraud, right? You've got to have a good idea. This is all about getting a good idea of where you're starting from. Then you're going to develop a process flow diagram for your incoming supplies, okay? And that starts with what we call primary production, okay, so your food is grown, it is ranched, something happens for sunlight and things to be transmogrified into your food, whether you're, you know, using beef or cannabis or sunflowers, starts start somewhere with, with, with an animal or a plant and the ground, and that's called primary production, okay, and there's all these steps in primary production and all these things that have to happen, in order for the um, food to get to you, right? So, you're gonna develop that process flow diagram, and then I want you to, as much as you can, validate those steps with your supplier and say, are those, is this actually what happens, okay? This is gonna require you being brave, all righty, and you're gonna to have to talk to people. Okay. Now, once you have, once you know what all those steps in your process flow diagram are, you're gonna perform a hazard analysis or a vulnerability analysis for I guess vulnerability is not hazards. So perform a vulnerability assessment or analysis on each step in the process flow diagram, right? Mm-hmm. And what are the ones? That, what what are the vulnerabilities that we are worried about? Okay, we are worried about um, the following five. This is this, so this parallels the hazards in hazard planning. So in hazard planning, we're worried about physical, chemical, microbial hazards. Well, in vulnerability assessments, we are worried about substituting, counterfeiting, including stolen goods. Okay, so stealing is, a, is, a, is, is food fraud, <laughs> okay. Adulterating, which includes diluting, mislabeling something, and then making false claims or other misleading statements, all right? So what, what are some examples of that? So substituting, you substitute a cheaper ingredient for a more expensive ingredient, all right? So that is canola oil for olive oil. Counterfeiting is you make a, um, somebody makes your food under your brand that isn't actually your food. That's counterfeiting, okay? Adulterating is adding in um, binders or fillers that are not supposed to be there. So, you know, in spices, spices are just crazy, but you can add, people add sawdust. You know, there have been cases where Um, Chili powder was not actually chili powder, it was ground up bricks, because it's the same color, right? Brick red, chili red, same kind of same color, right? That's adulterating. Mislabeling is calling something one thing when it is actually another. And then false claims or other misleading statements are things where you put an organic stamp on your food and it's not actually manufactured under an organic label, Okay, so food fraud, all y'all that have that make label claims, you have to do a food fraud assessment on that label claim as well, okay? Once you have that vulnerability assessment done, all right, step by step, right, starting at the primary grow, you're gonna, you're gonna analyze for at primary grow, substituting, counterfeiting, adulterating, mislabeling, or creating false claims. I would say those those vulnerabilities are not reasonably likely to occur, okay? This is the exact stuff that we're going to be covering under the webinar and then in the course. So just like in a hazard analysis, you're going to do this step by step by step by step, and you're going to do those five, you can ask yourself those five questions for every step in your process flow diagram, and you're going to come up with, okay, this is... Where I can see that I am really, I really have a chance to control or mitigate or or otherwise protect myself from this potential food fraud, right? That's your critical control point. And then the question becomes, well, what's the critical limit? Well, let's talk about something like an organic, uh, an organic uh, label that goes on that may fraudulently be there. So that's false claims or misleading statements as the vulnerability. Well, your critical limit if you're receiving organic stuff, your critical limit is is do they have an in-date organic audit from a reputable auditor? I have, my friends, I have looked at organic audits. And unless I can go and I can look up the name of the person who did the audit, Okay, and they are like a certified auditor with a certified auditing body. Do not put that nonsense in front of me. <laughs> okay, very easy to fake. There's huge problems with faking it. So your critical limit is a in-date valid organic audit from a reputable auditor. That's a perfectly good critical limit. It's either there or it's not there, right? Then you're going to determine the monitoring. Well, how do you monitor something like that? You take a look at it, you make sure that it is in date, you make sure that it, um, that, that it covers the products that you want covered. So for example, under the National Organic Standard, if you want to label your cattle organic, you have to be able to have traceability down to that steer, that that steer was raised organically. All right, there's no such thing as a blanket organic herd. It's like individual herds, individual medical records, all that sort of stuff, right? So your monitoring then is all about individual lot numbers and understanding how the organic plan applies to the stuff that is coming into your facility. Then you're going to verify and validate the plan. Well, verification is, is did I do what I said I was going to do and validating is, is, is it helpful? So verification always involves record re- review and direct observation, um, calibration. I'm not sure how much calibration would be necessary here and product testing. Not sure you can do those two, but you could definitely do the first two, records review and direct observation. You can go and you can... Like, uh, you can go visit the people and see if they are, if, if it holds water that they're running an organic plant. You know, like if you go to a greenhouse that's certified organic and you see Roundup on the shelf, I promise you they're not following the organic plant. <laughs> okay, so you're going to verify and validate. You're going to do record keeping. If you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. Okay, so that's step 11. So you'll, you know, you can go through and count all these different steps, but you're gonna create record keeping, all right? So you've got to have record keeping around all that verification, the validation, all that monitoring, your vulnerability assessment, this all this stuff has to be documented. And then management has to commit to implementing and maintaining the plan. Okay, because this, this is not the sort of thing that you can put on a shelf. And I, you know, as, as part of the, as part of the membership, we do mock recalls and one of the mock recalls I do, you know, I do two mock recalls with people every year because we kind of do them once every six months. One of the mock recalls that I always, always, always do is around food fraud and what somebody, you know, like somebody doing something crazy in your plant and you either being, um, a manufacturer that has a food fraud problem because somebody did something wrong that, that works for you, or being on the receiving end of a problem, and you're the one that got the ingredient with the bad organic statement, or you know that got canola oil instead of olive oil. So you have to test the system, you have to maintain the system, and um, you have to prove that the system actually works. Um, okay, so. And it has to be. It has to be uh, uh, supported by management. So again, twelve-step program. Form your team. Describe your ingredients. Describe your supply chain. Develop a process flow diagram from that work. Validate your process flow diagram. Perform a vulnerability analysis for substituting, counterfeiting, adulterating, and mis- mislabeling and false claims or misleading statements. Determine the critical control points in your VASIP plan. Determine your critical limits, uh, figure out how you're going to monitor those critical limits, that's step nine. Ten is verify and validate your plan. Then you're going to create record keeping to document what you are doing. And then finally, you're going to implement and maintain the plan. Okay, so my friends, that is how to do a food fraud vulnerability assessment brought to you by Dr. Fan and Steel, because this is how much fun we have around here. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the podcast uh, this week. And um, I look forward to talking with everybody uh, more about the new things that we are doing and the new programs that we're creating. And as always, if you are looking for a facility, you know where to find me, our locker systems will absolutely change your life. Okay, so if you're like, why the heck do I need to do this? I can't even grow and scale to a point where I need my, uh, I, 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 I could even be considered for this because I don't have the right facility. Send an email to info at com because we have a solution for you. That's an order of magnitude cheaper than everything else than a stick built building. All right. I love you all. You're completely amazing. Have a week full of awesome and we'll see you next week. Bye guys. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you all under the guidance of a food safety expert.